If you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, you'll find that on page 900 or 491. Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're reading from verse 5. Uh, this is God's word, and so we can trust it completely. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Amen. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open at the passage Ryan was reading earlier from Nehemiah chapter 8. And as we turn to that passage, let's pause. And again, we will pray, asking that the Lord might speak to us. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to your word, we pray that your word might speak to us, that the word... There might be truth that comes alive, that, that speaks to our hearts and our experience today. Lord, we are people in need of your grace. So come by your spirit and bring your word and bring it home to, to each of us. And we pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come on a harvest Sunday, we're very aware of that maybe Years past, it might have meant a, a lot more, to be honest, because we're closer to the, the agricultural-based society than perhaps we are now. And, and one of the, the failures of modern society when we're not so close to that is that we begin not to be as thankful for the, the small aspects of, of life, those daily provision. And so it's good to have, still, a special Sunday when we, we do remind ourselves of this. We remind ourselves of how God is the one who provides daily for us. And without the Lord's grace and that his daily faithfulness, we would be, of course, uh, much the, the worse. 
So even though it can be a little bit of nostalgia for some of us today, and just thinking about that, it is good to remind ourselves of the Lord's goodness. Maybe as well as having your finger in the passage which is in front of you, could I get you maybe to turn to Psalm 126 as well, just over a little bit. Uh, if you're, I'm not sure your page numbering will be exactly the same as mine, but mine's page 552. And as we read just this very short psalm, there, there's a, a, an appreciation of the sense of wonder and goodness of how God has provided and those amazing things that God does for his people. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And even as we've read those few simple verses, surely there's, there's a sense of wonder and astonishment at how God has provided for his people. And there's something, I think, that does resonate within each of us, just as we, we would think about that. And despite all the references in the Bible, both Bible passages we have been looking and reading from today, there is that sense of joy. And I wonder, as I really get into this now, what our sense of joy, maybe even use the word happiness, is in life. Because I think more so we find that life is a little bit chaotic. If you're familiar with Peanuts cartoons, uh, Snoopy or Charlie Brown, whichever way you wish to call them, there, there, there's one there. And the, the bottom line of that is that uh, Lucy is offering psychiatric help, uh, which uh, Charlie Brown is just coming along and she starts talking to him and she compares life uh, to a deck chair. Charlie Brown's a little bit unsure about that and says, what exactly do you mean? When she says, well, some people's attitude to life is that they face their deck chair facing backwards and so they're looking back at life. Some people may have their deck chair facing forward and so they're anticipating what is still to come. And Charlie Brown just sighs at the end of that and he says, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. <laughs> and perhaps that can be a little bit of our experience as well, because as we identify with them, we know that life is chaotic. People, we experience these, uh, these, remember, the word that can only come at times is it's like there's an explosion, there's a bomb that has simply just landed on our, our laps and we, we are taken for six and we don't know which way to turn. And so happiness can be very hard to find. Joy can be very hard to find. I was just maybe thinking of, of a number of things in our experience from day to day, which 
take away any joy that we might have. Uh, some of those things are, I mean, and there's just a few of them. If we think about what worry is, worry might be described as our experience about things that may or may not actually happen. It's not what people said. I have worried about a lot of things in life, but the majority of them never happened. And yet that doesn't stop us worrying about this and it's slow and, it, and it's eating away at us all the time. And stress is a little bit different, even though we may think it's, it's pretty similar, but it's an intense strain over something about which you have no control whatsoever. It's outside of your control and yet you will know that relentless churning that goes away inside yourself as you are stressed about what tomorrow holds or something that's a little bit longer. And fear is another emotion, reaction, human reaction, which is, and the effect of it is that it takes away our joy, but fear is an intense uneasiness over something not only do we have no control over what that is, but it's a very present, real danger. And so all these things take away our, our sense of joy. And yet I go back to the verse, which is at the center of the Bible passage we were reading from Nehemiah chapter 8 earlier, and it's verse 10, where Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to try and encourage you today to find a sense of joy and oh, maybe even happiness and what we might find in, in our daily experience by way of me trying to set the, the background to this passage, which is almost like when it's a one-off sermon, uh, we don't really know where it fits with what's been flowing uh, beforehand. So by way of background to this passage, the year is 444 BC. And God's people are now gathering together and they're standing in front of what is described as the water gate around the, the walls of, of Jerusalem. These were the descendants of the Israelites who had been carried off into captivity 70 years earlier, but they had returned, or at least some of them had returned. So these people had returned. They had faced difficulty, but in spite of that difficulty, they had rebuilt the temple. They had spent the last six months uh, rebuilding the city walls around the city. And now they're all back from the youngest to the oldest. And it's really a bit of a spectacle. What now happens is that Ezra the priest is very prominent. There's a, a wooden platform that has been built for him and the priests to stand on. And you may say it's, it's a bit like a pulpit. And Ezra begins to read the law, the word of God. And this hasn't happened for a, a very long period of time. So this is something new, something that they're hearing almost for the very first time. And Ezra begins to read the law of God. And he begins early in the morning and he continues straight the way through 
to lunchtime or maybe after five or six hours reading God's Word. And all of God's people are there. They've got parents, you've got grandparents, you've got the kids. And the reaction to all that that is happening, if you read verse 9, it's, it says that there's evidently been weeping. But the most memorable reaction about what has been going on here is that these people have a sense that God has spoken to them, that they were actually hearing God speak. They were conscious of God moving among them, and they were very aware that these were not simply words that Ezra was speaking, but that these were God's word. And even more so, that, that comes out in this passage when it is underscored twice that they could understand what was being said, what was being read. Verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Verse 12, then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And so what we're meant to really pick up on here is just this sense of God moving among his people, and the effect of it all is that they could understand what God was saying. In other words, that God by his Holy Spirit was convicting people, that God by his Holy Spirit was moving so that people were there and they were clearly without a doubt that what was happening is that they were hearing the very words of God. That's powerful. And I'm sure there have been special moments in your life when you have had an awareness that God has spoken to you, specifically, directly to you, You'll, if you can remember how on the day of Pentecost, and Luke records that in Acts chapter 2, and he describes that on that day, Peter got up to speak. And the way in which Luke then describes what happens, he says that by the, under the power of the Holy Spirit and Peter's sermon was spoken and his words from the Bible were spoken, it says that they were cut to their hearts because they understood that God was speaking. And into this highly charged situation, it's now that Nehemiah steps forward and Nehemiah begins to speak. And Nehemiah in those moments perhaps doesn't say what you might expect him to say because our normal expectation in that moment where there's just this sense that God is speaking and you might say that the, the natural response would be to send people away and to reflect deeply upon what God has been saying and so that they would think about how they have not lived as God wanted them to live and that they needed to change their ways and that they needed to put themselves right with God. Well, that's going to happen. That's going to happen in Nehemiah chapter 9. But the first thing that Nehemiah actually says is verse 10, where he says, Go 
and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord, so don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to try and make sense of this passage, and as I do so, I am thinking about the people who were immediately standing in front of Nehemiah on that day. So for us to understand what's going on, we need to think about them. We need to think about their experiences. But I'm also then thinking about me, and I'm thinking about you, and how this passage might apply to us and our situation. And as I bring maybe those two things together in the context of this passage, what I'm reminded of was the cause of the joy that these people experienced? What was it that they understood in those moments that they were able to experience this deep joy? And there's a number of things, I think, that I can see here that they understood and that perhaps if we understood, it would help our experience and our development of joy in our own lives. And maybe the first thing of all of that is that joy comes from knowing that we are loved by God. If we had a grasp of the fact that we really are loved by God, then of course, the outworking of that is that we will have a deeper experience of joy. Think about these people who were gathered in front of this water gate in Jerusalem. These were the people who knew that their forefathers had been sent into captivity because they had rebelled and they'd done the wrong thing and they hadn't trusted God. They knew that. But they also knew that God had proved himself faithful because they had now been brought back. They, they knew that God had restored the temple. They, they knew that despite their, their failures and their failings, that God still loved them and he still proved himself reliable and faithful. And all around them were the tokens of God's faithfulness because here they were, they could see what God had been doing for each of them. They could see how God provided for them, how they hadn't been left, that all the promises that God had made to them, God had kept. They could see the evidences of that and that as they now gave themselves to God and his word, they knew that they were loved and that joy then comes from knowing that they are loved by God because God hadn't forsaken them. God hadn't given them up. God hadn't broken his promises to them. Despite their wickedness and despite their sin, they knew that God loved them because they were back and they were together. So I think for us too, of course, is that joy will come when we have an appreciation that we are really loved by God, just to let that sink in to our, our minds, that you are loved by God. And maybe developing that just a little bit more is that I think these people, as well as just knowing that they are simply loved by God in that sense, but they also have an assurance, a deep assurance that they have this relationship with God and that having this relationship with God, that truly there is nothing better. There is nothing more that is needed than having this relationship with God. Now, 
from where they were in Nehemiah chapter 8, in a couple of days' time from this moment, they were going to celebrate a Jewish festival called the Day of Atonement. And if you know very little about that, it was indeed a spectacle. It was a spectacle that would, it was visible. It was something that you could even smell. It was in some ways quite horrific at times as well because hundreds, if not thousands of animals would have been ritually killed. They would have had their throats cut and the blood would flow. That's why I'm saying it was like, there's a horrific sense of this, but it was certainly very visible what was going to happen. And on the day of atonement, then the high priest would take some of that blood and he would spread it over the atonement seat. And again, it was a very visible spectacle reminding the people of what was happening, that there was the possibility that their sins would be forgiven. And it was only possible because of the shed blood of a sacrificial animal. And so they were very aware of that, that their sins would be forgiven because something died, someone's, or something's blood had been shed. And so of all these biblical terms that we may or may not be familiar with, but things like propitiation and substitution and satisfaction, but ultimately it's reminding us it is through the shed blood that forgiveness is possible. Or we remind ourselves that of that other biblical picture that though our sins be as deep crimson red, they shall be as white as snow. And knowing that and being assured of that because ultimately it's pointing us to Jesus and what Jesus has done for us is that we know that we are in a relationship with God where we can be in this relationship with God and it is the assurance of that relationship through Jesus with God that gives us joy because we remind ourselves whatever we have done, whatever dark spots you may feel, are over your life, that in Christ your sins will be as white as snow. And joy comes from an appreciation of that because you have the assurance that your sins are atoned for. They are forgiven because when we have Christ, we have everything. And even though other things may be taken away from us, when we have Christ, we have no need for anything more. And that's the experience. Ever heard of the name Richard Vermbrand, who was uh, a leader uh, of the church in the communist era? Uh, in the middle of all that persecution, many times in his life he would have been in prison. And in his book, I think it's called Tortured for Christ, he, he, he writes this, it was strictly forbidden to preach to the other prisoners. And it was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. But a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. And I'm not sure how you might react in those moments, but you understand 
where he's coming from because he genuinely knows that when he's got Christ and when he's got Jesus, that no matter what else he loses, he has everything he needs. But if your joy today is in material things, if your joy is in what's in your bank account, if your joy is in your splendid house, if your joy is in the car that you drive, what happens if those things are taken away from you? The Bible reminds us that moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But if we go back to Richard Vernbrand, if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. So joy comes from knowing that we're loved, but also from the deep assurance of having this relationship with God. But I think joy also comes from knowing that the best is still yet to be. Think again of these people standing in front of Nehemiah on this day. And try and put yourself into their shoes, as it were, and what they must have been thinking about, surely, as they were reminding themselves of what was going on and where they had come to this point. And as I read this passage, what I am left with is this sense, is that they had a new appreciation of God's purposes in their lives. Not simply that there was a random, vague sense of purpose, but they actually understood what God was doing. Because as they listened to the law of God being read, and as they looked around at each other, and as they looked into the faces of one another, and as they reminded of how they had been brought to this place, they knew that as they were standing together, and as they looked at one another, that we are the people of God and that God is doing something among us because he has brought us back and he hasn't given up on us and God has his purposes to fulfill because God had ordered their steps. God had brought them to this place. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And thinking of those people who were standing there, Do you think there were widows standing there? People who have been engulfed by grief? Well, of course there would have been. Do you imagine that there would have been orphans there, people who had lost their parents? Well, I'm sure there probably was. Do you imagine that there were people standing there who were struggling with their own sense of failure and their own sin and their own experiences of where they had come from, of course. But in these moments, as they stood together as the people of God, they had this renewed sense of how God was working among them, that nothing was haphazard, nothing was accidental, but that God had been working through them and that God had a plan. And as we think about ourselves, even as we are in this building today, we have a sense that God has a plan and a purpose, that the best is still yet to be. Because we as a people of God don't simply look back to where we've come. 
like these people of Israel in the time that they had, they had come out of captivity, but they're beginning to look forward to the possibilities of the future. And we as the people of God don't simply look back. We don't look back simply to the day in which I became a Christian. We don't even look back to the day when Jesus was born as a little baby in Bethlehem, but we as the people of God always look forward. And we know that just as Jesus came once into this world, Jesus will come again. And the expectation that we have from what is written in the Bible is that Jesus will come and that Jesus will come to gather his people, that he will in that sense come on the clouds and he will gather his people, that Jesus is coming in splendor and that Jesus is coming to bring about the end of all time and he will bring everything together. And even though that is our belief and that is the cause of our joy, it's still hard to keep going, isn't it? When you think what you came through last week, what caused your joy to dissipate, what caused it to leak. So where do you go for encouragement? Where do you find the joy and the food for the journey? Where do you go for your refuge? On what do you fling yourself when you're feeling lost? And I want to encourage you today to fling yourself upon Jesus, to experience the joy of this salvation, this deep sense of God's presence with you, that you know that God has spoken and that God is with you and that God has promised never to leave you, never to forsake you, that God is with you. And particularly on this day, if you've come to this point and, and you've never really made that step of faith and commitment and you can see something in other people's lives in here that, that cries out to you that, that there is something about Jesus and what he offers them and that you can see that it's lacking in your own life and you want to experience this. If you haven't come to that point, speak to me. I would love to be able to tell you more about what Jesus can do. Or if there's something in, in your life today and it's just like this cloud and it's the sense of, of joy, you can't have it in life because of those aspects of life that, that threaten to steal it away, God's assurance for you today is that you can have joy and that you can have peace and you have these things in abundance. And maybe if you want to come for prayer at the end of our service, there'll be people again who will pray for you that you will know the assurance of God's peace and blessing in your life. Perhaps we'll just pause very briefly now in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and for what this passage even reminds us of today and how you worked so long ago in these people's lives, the difference that it made, and Lord, we long for that too. We struggle. Sometimes we try to put on a brave face for others, but you know what's going on in our hearts. You know how we really feel. And so, Lord, we simply unburden ourselves in your presence. We need to come to you. 
And may we find this joy and the difference that it makes each and every day, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Lord, increase our joy. Satisfy us with what you provide. Lift our eyes and may we see Jesus himself. Amen.